The following message is brought to you by George Lawson, Jr., pastor and Bible teacher with Baltimore Bible Church. We will be reading from the New American Standard Bible. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So now let's open our Bibles and follow along with Pastor George as we loose the scriptures and let them speak. If you would, uh, take your Bibles and uh, open up with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. As I thought about uh, what to share with you uh, today and uh, just giving you an update from the field in Africa and uh, trying to give you a perspective of uh, what's going on there, uh, my mind was drawn back to a familiar text for all of us in Matthew chapter uh, 13. And uh, this is a, a place in God's Word where a concern is addressed for the believer uh, because often uh, what we find as we're sharing the the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we shared that earlier that the gospel is good news, uh, but often those that we share that good news with don't respond as if it's good news. And that can be oftentimes discouraging for us. And Jesus addressed a a similar concern uh, for his disciples after a year and a half of labor with the Savior labor in the field, Uh, the question that came across the disciples' mind is, uh, where are the results of the labor? And sometimes we have that same question, don't we? Where where are the results from the the labor? Where are the results from sharing the good news? Now, these disciples were called to be fishers of men, uh, but they haven't been taking too many fish home in the cooler, if you understand what I'm talking about. There seems to be a hole in the net. You know, these are men who are called to make followers of Jesus Christ. And after a year and a half of ministry, they've seen thousands turn away from the gospel. And they might have been saying to themselves, you know, Lord, I expected to see greater results. And there's some of you might have had a similar experience after you came to know the Lord, when you noticed that there wasn't a great following because of your gospel proclamation. And you might have wondered, you know, is there something that I'm doing that's wrong? You know, maybe I need a, you know, a a different a different method or, you know, maybe better music or, you know, maybe I'm just not the right person to to do this. Maybe I'm not given the gift of evangelism. Maybe I'm not just gifted for this this work. You know, I've had those same thoughts. I remember when I first came to know the Lord, I thought that everybody would come to Christ because I shared my testimony with them. You know, I just had this this belief that's like, you know, it's good news for me. It's just going to be good news for everybody I run across. You know, and just sharing my testimony and sharing the good news that saved me, you know, people are going to just bow the knee to Jesus Christ. That's what I thought in my ignorance, in my, my youth, and uh, soon found out that the revival, you know, didn't happen because I, I shared my testimony with people. And some of you might have even experienced early fruit in your life. You know, after you first started sharing the gospel, people seemed to be interested, you know, might have seen even people who came to faith in Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden, it's like it just flatlines. And it's like, what, what happened to all that gospel fruit? You know, what, am I doing something wrong? Is there something wrong with what I'm doing? Where are the results uh, from all my gospel efforts? And what we find in Matthew chapter 13 in the parable of the sower, or some like to call it the parable of the soils, it helps us to answer the concern that we might have about the results of our labors. Because it shows us that there is more going on beneath the surface than we can see on the top of the surface. And it would have been a message of encouragement for these disciples of Jesus 
And I pray that it would be an encouragement for the disciples of Jesus today as well. So let's take a look at uh, Matthew chapter 13. We'll look at the first nine verses. And what we're going to examine together are four different responses to the word of the kingdom to encourage those who work in the kingdom, all right? Four different responses to the word of the kingdom to encourage those who work in the kingdom. Matthew chapter 13, I'll start at verse 1. It says, That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and large crowds gathered to him, so he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's uh, bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you uh, today, and as we always do, oh Lord, every Lord's Day, we ask for your blessings, we ask for your help. Now, Father, we know that uh, we can't understand these things apart from your spirit, apart from your power working in our lives. Now, so Father, I pray that you'd give us understanding, that you'd make these things clear to us, make these things plain to us. And uh, Father, I pray that you'd grant us encouragement through your word as we understand what uh, Jesus himself had to say about the, the work that we're engaged in even today, uh, the work of spreading the, the good news, spreading the seed, spreading the word of God. Uh, Father, I pray that we would find encouragement from Jesus' words. And uh, Father, I pray that you would use me as a weak instrument to be a blessing to your people, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. The story that, that Jesus tells here would have been a familiar kind of scene for the people that he spoke to. They're all familiar with farmers. They're all familiar with the soil. It was all familiar to them. And in verses 3 to 4, he gives the picture of the hard-packed soil, the, the soil that's trodden under the foot of man. Look at it again in verses 3 and 4. It says, he spoke to them many things in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. This is the, the hard-packed soil. And during this time, you would have had paths that cut straight through the neighbor's fields, and uh, it's called the road. In verse 4, it was common to find travelers cutting back and forth across the fields, the, the fields that the farmer sowed in. Back in Matthew chapter 12, uh, Jesus and his disciples, uh, if you remember, were walking uh, through a grain field on the Sabbath day, and it wasn't considered to be trespassing. That's just how you got from place to place to walk through the, the fields of the neighbors. In uh, Deuteronomy 23 and 25, it even lets us know that when you enter a neighbor's standing grain, that you could pluck the heads of the grain as you're walking through. So if you're walking through a neighbor's field, you need a snack, just go ahead and pull off some of the grain from the, the stalks there. There's nothing wrong with that. It was common, it was expected. But the heavy foot traffic along these narrow paths would make the ground too hard for anything to grow on. It was packed down like pavement. And any seed that fell along this path would get crushed under the foot of men. And what didn't get crushed would be quickly taken up by the birds. It's been said that when a, a sower did his work that you could tell because the, the birds would flock around the sower as he's scattering the seed that the birds would start to flock around and the 
the well-trodden ground would be an easy place for these birds to, to grab a bite to eat. So the picture was easy enough to, to understand, you know, the, the hard-trodden ground. But the, the picture behind us, the, the revelation behind it, is what Jesus was pointing them to. And that took the Spirit of God uh, to open up this revelation to them. And we find the explanation down in verse 18, where Jesus says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word, the kingdom of the kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. This is the, the picture of the seed that was sown on the wayside. The hard dirt, the, the, the dirt that was packed down tight. And any seed that fell there was a feast for the birds. And the Bible lets us know that this is the picture of the hardened heart. It's the devil's playground. It's easy work for Satan to come and snatch the word from the, the hardened heart. Just like the birds swoop down on the seed that lands on the pavement, they don't have to move a blade of grass in order to get to it. It's easy to get to. And Satan has all kinds of, of tactics to remove the word of God that's been thrown on a hard heart. And he's been doing that from the very beginning, hasn't he? Has God said? Has God really said that? And the unbelieving heart has no protection from that. There's no grass growing up to protect the seed. It's just easy prey, easy pickings for Satan to come in and swoop up the word and run away with it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, it says uh, that Satan is the god of this world who's blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And that's what we find here is that Satan will come and snatch up the word. And how does he do this? Often he does this through false teachers. You know, the, the false teachers are like his, his army of, of, of birds that will swoop down and snatch up the word of God before it can take any root. If you think about this in the ministry of Jesus, who was it that was moving in and out of the crowds while Jesus was preaching, while Jesus was performing miracles? You know, it's the Pharisees who are moving back and forth. Oh, he's doing those miracles by the power of Beelzebub. That can't, that can't be God that's doing that. You know, what are they? They're like, you know, Satan's army of birds that are coming down to swoop up the word before it can take root. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 24, it says, when the Pharisees heard this about Jesus, they said, this man cast out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons, moving through the crowd, snatching up the word of God from the heart and heart before it can take root. And how many times have we seen that play out even in our day? You know, sometimes when we're witnessing, even before we can leave a conversation, Somebody's coming in to try to confuse what you've just said. You know, Jehovah's Witnesses in the, the other person's ear. You know, a Hebrew Israelite, Nation of Islam. You know, all kinds of false teaching. Liberalism. I mean, it's all over the place. Skepticism. Oh, you can't really believe that, can you? You know, I remember uh, I was out witnessing one time and uh, somebody said, you, you do watch the National Geographic, don't you? <laughs> you know this can't be true. I mean, we all know that the world is billions of years old. I mean... You don't really believe in a God, and they're trying to confuse people that I've just talked to about the gospel. And this is the work of Satan. This is what Satan does. He comes in and tries to snatch up the word before it can take root. And the birds represent the evil one himself. Satan comes to snatch the word from the hard-hearted, whether he does this directly through false teachers, the greedy army of birds that sweep in to devour the word before it has a chance to grow. This is the picture of what often happens when we're trying to spread the word, trying to spread the gospel, the good news. What else happens? Look at verse 5. Verse 5, it says, Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil. 
and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. The rocky soil that Jesus is speaking about here is not a a soil with a bunch of rocks on the top. That's not what we're to have in our mind when we think about the rocky soil. Uh, The rocky soil uh, was actually what was beneath the surface. You know, sowers didn't go out to, to throw seed on rocks. That's not what they did. But beneath the surface, often there were rock beds that would prevent the, 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 the soil uh, from really producing any kind of fruit. You know, it's, it's this shallow soil. On the surface, it looks like it's soil. They're throwing the, the seed on it, but beneath it, there's a hard rock surface that doesn't allow any roots to take place. This is what he's talking about. One commentator described the process of sowing seeds in this way. He says, in preparation for sowing the seed, the ground was cleared of all the old growth. This caused the entire field to look the same. The sower had no idea of what roots or rocks lay underneath the surface of the soil. The soil was not plowed as it's done today, but rather the seed was broadcast by the sower on the surface of the soil and then scratched into the soil with a a wooden plow. If there was a bed of rocks a couple of inches below the soil, below the surface, the the farmer wouldn't find that out until it was time for the, the crop to grow. It was shallow soil. And the wise farmer would understand that quick growth is not necessarily lasting growth. And that's what Jesus wanted to point out to the disciples who might have seen some quick responses to Christ fizzle up and dry out. Look down in uh, verse 20 and 21. These are the short-term responses of the shallow heart. Look at verse 20. It says, The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Immediate joy over Christ is not a clear evidence of salvation in Christ. Conversion is about more than just an emotional response. You know, that's why sometimes when you know, we see these you know, big revivals and you know, just hundreds of people coming down to say, oh, I want to follow Jesus Christ. You know, when you follow up like a year later to see what happened to all these people that came down, you know, after they heard just as I am for the 10th time, and they're finally brought down to the front, like what happened to all these people? You know, you find that very few have been actually converted and became a part of a church, were baptized and are still walking with the Lord. Not saying that salvation never happens in those, you know, kinds of events, uh, but often the, the major response that, that happens is an emotional response. They're responding to something immediately. Immediately, they've got joy over Christ, over this message, but there's no firm root. And the disciples would have seen a number of joyful responses that evaporated in the heat. Like in uh, Matthew chapter 8, where you have a man who comes to, to Jesus, a scribe. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 19, he says, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And we never hear from that scribe again. It was a temporary emotional response that didn't have any lasting roots. People find out that following Christ doesn't come with the the salary and the benefit package, and they're not ready to follow Christ anymore. You know, we we don't get all the goodies that we originally thought we were going to have. Jesus told people in John chapter 6 after he you know, fed the, the, the multitudes. This is after he fed the 5,000. You know, the next day he uh, turned the, the bread machine off. 
you know, you're not going to continue to follow me because you're just going to get a meal. Following me is hard. Following me is not easy. And he actually told them that, you know, forget about the the bread I gave you yesterday. If you're going to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now people are getting the idea that this this man means business. (laughs) This is difficult. Like, who can listen to this? And it says, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. What, What kind of disciples were those? The temporary ones. The shallow ones. The ones who were just there for the benefits. Identifying with Jesus is costly. And people who immediately seem overjoyed and excited about Christianity at first can cave in when there's a price to pay for it. Immediate joy over Christ is not a clear evidence of salvation in Christ. R.C. Sproul tells a story about the day that he was converted. Uh, Both he and his friend uh, both professed Christ on the same day. On the same day, they heard the same message. They both professed Christ on the same day. And they went back to their rooms, their dorm rooms, to immediately write their girlfriends and tell them about their faith in Christ. But the very next morning after that day, R.C. Sproul's friend rejected Christ, never to return again. And R.C. followed Christ until his very last breath. Two different responses to the same exact message. Both of them came in with the positive response. One fell off the face of the earth, never to be seen again, while the other faithfully walked with Christ. Conversion is more than just an emotional response. But uh, we love the emotional responses, don't we? (laughs) We love the emotional responses. But people need to have a a firm root. A firm root. It's more than just walking an aisle or, you know, tears, you know, during a a message. It's about are you now wanting to follow after Christ? It's more than the decision. It's about discipleship. It's about following after Christ. Philippians 1.6, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, those that begin that are true followers of Christ, will persevere until the end. We call it the perseverance of the saints. God works that into the heart. And it's because God is the one who's protecting that faith until the very end. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 says, We are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's God who protects our faith that ensures that our faith will remain. Remember, Jesus prayed for Peter, right? That is what? That his faith would remain. Yes, Peter, you're going to get weak. You're going to deny me, but I've prayed that your faith would not fail. It's God who protects our faith until the very end. And that's how we know that we're secure. The next kind of soil that Jesus identifies is the thorny soil. If you look at verse 7, it says, Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. This is the, the thorny soil. Thorns grew up around the plants, were often more aggressive than the Vitality of the plants that the farmer was trying to sow. (laughs) You know, I don't think many of us try to sow the weeds in our lawns, but they're the ones that seem to be the hardiest. You know, you don't have to do anything for the weeds to grow. You know, they'll just come up anywhere. You know, it's like you have to work hard on the grass and the the flowers and everything else that you want to grow. But the weeds, they're thriving with very little. You know, they don't need much fertilizer, much attention. They'll, They'll just come up. That's the way it happens in the thorny heart. Thorns and weeds can grow and dominate the landscape and rob the other plants of what they need for their sustenance. Now, the word that's used here for thorns, acantha, it's the the same word that's used for the the thorns that were twisted onto Jesus' scalp, pressed into a skull in the crucifixion. It's actually a picture of the curse. 
Thorns were a curse according to Genesis chapter 3. And what we have here is these, these thorns that come up to choke out the word. If you look down at verse 22, it says, And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. This is the unfruitful and unproductive response of the worldly heart. The worldly heart. It's a heart that's consumed by this present age. Care of this world. Care of this age. It's, it's all about the present life. What, what's here and now. And there are two ways specifically that the, the care of this present age can manifest itself. One way is through uh, worry. And the other is through wealth. And you can fall into the ditch on either side. There's the concern for your needs. And there can be a desire for wealth. And both are deadly and can choke out the message of Christ. When Christ speaks about the, the worry of the world, it's a reference to our basic needs being met. You know, the word worry comes from a, a Greek verb that means to be distracted, to be divided. And the idea is that I'm so concerned about everything that's going on around me, I, I can't really focus on Christ right now. My attention's divided. I'm distracted. I remember uh, one time I was sharing the gospel with uh, uh, this gentleman in, in Baltimore, he says, you know, I, I don't have time to think about eternity. I'm thinking about tomorrow. That's the distracted heart, the divided heart. So concerned about the things of this life that he has no time to think about eternity. You know, tomorrow's not certain, but eternity is. But that's the, the, the concern of the, the worried heart. And it's a foolish way to live because tomorrow's not promised. Who knows if you even have tomorrow? <laughs> you know, is that old song, you know, tomorrow... I'll give my life tomorrow. Who cares about today, right? Tomorrow, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. But we don't know if we have that tomorrow to concern ourselves with, with Jesus Christ. And it's not to say that we are unconcerned about physical needs, but it's not the most important, right? Matthew six thirty three. but seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And what's these things in the context is talking about what will I eat and what will I drink and what will I wear? I mean, those are the things that he's saying don't concern yourself with. You know, I mean, the basics, the necessities of life, don't let that get in the way of following after Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what Jesus says. The priority is God and his kingdom. He's the one who made your life and his kingdom comes first. His kingdom comes first. But people aren't just distracted from the word because of their needs. They're also distracted from the word because of their greeds. A selfish desire for more. And they totally tune the word out because it's always, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? It's always bigger and better. Jesus calls this the deceitfulness of riches. And just like a, a weed, this greedy desire can grow around your heart and choke out the life of the word of God. Over in Luke chapter 12, Jesus was talking about the, the dangerous leaven of the Pharisees. And in the middle of this teaching on the kingdom, somebody in the crowd calls out. So Jesus is here talking about, you know, the danger of the Pharisees and blaspheming the Holy Spirit and what it takes to enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus is having this, this powerful sermon. And in the middle of this powerful sermon, somebody pipes up and says, teacher, you know, interrupts Jesus in mid-sentence. Teacher, got a question? Teacher, teacher. Luke 12, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. And it's like, did you hear nothing that I've just been talking about? And you're going to interrupt me for this? 
to talk about your brother's wealth? Jesus responds and says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Do you think this is what I'm here for? <laughs> to divide up, you know, family wealth, you know, distribution of wealth? Do you think that's what Jesus came to do? That's, that's not what he's about. And here this man was so concerned about physical, temporal riches that he had no concern about the kingdom of God that Jesus was trying to communicate to him. And then we have followed, following that, the, the parable of the rich fool, where Jesus speaks about a man who, you know, had so much wealth that he had to build bigger barns to hold his wealth in. And then those words from heaven that you never want to hear, you fool, you fool. Tonight your soul is required of you, and then who's going to get all of these riches that you have stored up for yourself? And so is the man who is rich in this life, but is not rich towards heaven. It's foolish. People can get so caught up in riches and wealth and ease that they totally tune out the eternal riches of heaven. And these are the thorns that can grow up around the, the worldly heart. And these are typically the first responses that we get to the message of the kingdom. They're the first three that are mentioned. First three, the hard heart, the shallow heart, the worldly heart. Those are usually the responses that we get. We're out trying to share the gospel, and what do we get in response? We get the hard-hearted response. We get the shallow-hearted response. We get the worldly-hearted response. And that can become discouraging. Because when a farmer goes out to sow, uh, he's not expecting to feed the birds with his seed. That's not what he's out doing. He's not out here trying to grow thorns and thorn bushes to decorate the field. He's looking for a crop. And this is where verses 8 to 9 bring us such great encouragement because there's more going on underneath the surface than we could ever realize. God is still working through his word. That's the encouragement that I want to give you today. God is still at work. God is still using his word in the same way that he was using it back then. He's still using it today. And even though you might not get the response that you're hoping for, when you're sharing the good news of the gospel, God is still using that seed to produce fruit. God is still at work and he uses the means of his word. There's also a healthy response as well. Look at verse 8. It says, And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the triumph of God's truth. God's truth will triumph. And if you've ever experienced discouragement because of the negative results of sharing the gospel, this passage is meant to bring you encouragement. God's truth will triumph. And in the midst of all the discouraging responses, our trust is to be what the Lord is doing beneath the soil. God is still at work. And there's a couple of observations that I want to make here about the, the farmer. Number one, he's not really being particularly uh, careful about where he's throwing the seed. Do you notice that? The sower just goes out to sow. You know, he's, he's in the field. He's in the right spot, right? And I'm just going to take the seed and broadcast it. I mean, that's what they're doing, picking it out of their bag and just casting it out into the soil. Not really being particular. He just went out to sow in verse 3. And the picture that we have here is just seed being scattered liberally everywhere. He's not taking all kinds of soil samples, you know, getting people to fill out a survey, you know, hey, will, soil, will, will the seed grow here? You know, that's not what he's doing. He's just scattering the seed everywhere as far and as wide as he can because he has no idea where this seed is going to take root. And that's the same way that 
we need to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ far and wide without discrimination. It was Jesus who said in Mark 16 and 15, uh, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. We, ha- we have no idea who God will draw to himself. It's just our responsibility to sow the seed far and wide. I love what uh, John Wesley said. He said, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can in all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as ever you can. <laughs> this, this is what we're to do. And you could be walking right past the soil that's about to sprout because you've determined in your mind, that's not good soil. I don't know if I'm going to get anything from over there. The good soil could be living right next door to you. It could be right across the street from you. It could be the person who's working next to you. You know, the, the, the person that you're walking past at the grocery store, that could be the good soil. You know, but you're holding on to your soul because I don't know if it's going to grow over there. That's not for you to, to judge. It's not for us to, to judge. The only way we find out where the good soil is to do what? We cast the seed. That's how you find out where the good soil is. You cast the seed and see where it grows. Hand out a track. Share your testimony. You can't expect a harvest where you have not sown. Amen? You can't expect a harvest where you haven't sown. Second observation I want to make is that there's virtually no description of the sower. You know, I don't know if you went to school for this. You know, what kind of training? What kind of training do you need to, like, dump a seed out, right? I mean, there's not not much that's going on here. We have descriptions of the different kinds of soil, the hard, the shallow, the thorny, the good. We know nothing about the sower. Nothing is said about his skill, his style, his age, his mannerisms, his intellect, his ability, his charming personality. We know nothing about the sower. All the kinds of things that you look in books for church growth and evangelism, you're not really finding it here. Uh, Rick Warren once said that uh, it's my deep conviction that anybody can be one to Christ if you discover the key to his or her heart. Really? I don't read that here. (laughs) It's not discovering the the key to the heart here. It's just sowing the seed. Like that's, that's what we're responsible to do. It's the message. The message itself, that contains the power. You know, sometimes we think, you know, maybe if I was just, you know, kinder to the soil, you know, maybe that would produce a harvest. You know, maybe if I didn't tell the soil that it was so dirty, you know, can't talk about the sin, you know, maybe that would produce a harvest. We don't find any of that in the scripture. All we know is that the sower went out to sow, he cast the seed, the crop grew. Real quick, flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Here you have uh, Paul dealing with the congregation that was making a big deal out of the human instrument that God used to to bring people to to Christ. But what Paul does is he turns them away from the the human instrument. It's not about who does it. It's about the word that does the work, right? Look at 1 Corinthians 3. Look at verse 4. It says, For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. It's not about the one who who throws the seed. The youngest child in here can throw the seed. And God can use even that to grow a crop. And the more seed that you throw is the more crops that will grow. 
You know, it's just the, the more you throw out the seed. You know, what, what makes a successful evangelist? The one who's, who's casting out the more, you know, the most seed. You know, you know why, why do we, you know, look at people like uh, Ray Comfort? You know, I, I wondered, like, how many times has Ray Comfort, like, video the, the people that say, nope, I'm not interested? You know, you don't really see all those on the YouTube page, right? You see the ones that, you know, hey, I'll sit and I'll talk with you, you know, a little bit. And, you know, somebody that he's leading in the conversation you know, but how many times does he have to talk to a no, no, not interested, no, not, not today? How many times does it have to happen like that before he gets to the one person that says, okay, I'll sit and listen to you? It's just about casting the seed. The more you cast the seed, the more you see the, 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 the crop grow, okay? And the last observation that I want to make, and really the most exciting part, is that the power is in the seed itself. The power is in the seed itself. Many parables include a kind of surprising twist at the end, and this one certainly does, and from everything that I've read, the kind of crop that's mentioned in this verse would have been miraculous. Look again at verse 8. It says, and others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. One commentator suggests that an average crop will produce something between sevenfold and fifteenfold. I mean, a fifteenfold harvest would have been fantastic. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting at the top here, 15-fold harvest, which either speaks about uh, the amount of grain, you know, that's grown on a stock or the amount of stalks to a seed. You know, if I get 15-fold on the seeds that I'm throwing out, I'm doing really good. To get a 30, 60, or 100-fold return would have been, like, miraculous. You know, that every seed that I throw out is producing a crop that every stalk has got a full head of grain. I mean, that would have been miraculous. We only find that kind of return once in the scriptures. In uh, Genesis 26, uh, we find Isaac's crop that grew like that. Isaac, uh, in uh, Genesis 26, 12 to 13, says, Now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and continued to grow rich until he became very wealthy. You know, no wonder Laban didn't want to let him go. It's like, this guy's producing a hundredfold crop? I mean, this is miraculous. Nobody produces a crop like that. But here we find in the, the passage that this seed is producing a crop of 160 and some 30-fold. Even the 30-fold was double the best that people could expect. This is miraculous. And Jesus says, that's the kind of fruit that's present in the heart of the one who receives my word. That's what this is talking about. This is the fruit that's produced in a believer's life. When the word of God is received by faith, it produces fruit. It produces a harvest. And the soil here is the picture of the heart. The heart that receives the word of God produces fruit, produces a harvest. And soil that didn't produce fruit was useless to the farmer. Soil that produced fruit was the, the, the ground that was useful to the farmer. And that's the picture that we have here. You know, I've heard interpreters who try to make this something other than what it is. They say that, you know, well, the you know, thorny soil can be a weak believer or the shallow soil can be a weak believer. And oh, what the text is saying is you're not a believer at all. <laughs> because the only one that's a true believer is the one that produced fruit. Fruit. A plant that didn't produce fruit was worthless to the farmer. A farmer doesn't grow a crop just so he can see the leaves. He wants the fruit. And God is after the same thing. John 15, 2. Every 15, 2. John 15, 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
John 15, 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Believers produce fruit. You know, even if you only got like a little grape, you know, on the leaf, it's like, okay, that's, that's something, right? Believers produce fruit. And if you're here and you're claiming to be a believer and there's no sign of fruit in your life, there's no good produce coming out of your life, you need to ask yourself, am I really a believer? Have I really received the word of God? Has the word of God taken root in my life? Because if it has, it will produce a crop. There's going to be some kind of production. So ask yourself, am I the hard heart? Have I refused to allow the word of God to deal with me, to penetrate my own heart? Am I a shallow heart? You know, just kind of hanging around because of the benefits of being in, among the people of God, like shallow response, you know, immediate response of joy, but I'm unwilling to pay the price of following after Jesus Christ? Am I a distracted and busy heart, so wrapped up with this world that I have no time to give serious consideration to Jesus Christ? Or am I a heart that produces fruit? Am I the good soil that produces fruit? And what's gospel fruit? It's repentance. Matthew 3, verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What's gospel fruit? It's, it's goodness and righteousness. Philippians 1.11, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ. What's gospel fruit? It's obeying the commandments of Christ. That's fruit, gospel fruit. John 15.8, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And in the end, it's these hearts that are truly saved because God has worked that into that heart. It's supernatural. Like I said, the power is in the seed itself. And the seed is producing this fruit. And if you're a believer, there's going to be no natural explanation for your life. It's, it's God that has worked that fruit into your life. It's supernatural. And the only explanation for your life will be God. If you're truly a believer. And there's only one kind of seed that can produce that fruit, and it's the Word of God. Now, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, it says, You've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and enduring word of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and verse 13, it says, The word of God is able to perform its work in you who believe. This is what God does. So we, we don't tamper with the seed. We don't come up with our own formula. We don't look for quick and easy results. We preach the word and trust in God to do the work because he's doing more underneath the surface than we could ever imagine. I'm told that at the uh, changing of the guard of the tomb of the unknown soldier at Arlington Cemetery that the relief commander instructs the active guard to pass on their orders and the orders that come back you know as this exchange is made is post and orders remain as directed. Orders remain unchanged. And that's the orders that we've been given as believers. We have the same orders. You know, post and orders remain as directed. Orders remain unchanged. We're still to spread the seed, you know, trust in the word to do its work, and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We trust the seed. The seed is good. And the more we throw it, the more results we can expect. So don't wait for the next evangelism week to come around before you cast the seed. Don't wait for the church to organize something for you to cast the seed. You know, preach the word and, and watch God do the work uh, that only he can do as we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
You have been listening to George Lawson Jr. of Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events and where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserves all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating all printed media, CDs, and digital files.